in the beginning, God. Those simple, those simple words set it all in motion. In the beginning, God. It was from there that God went about and he created the world as we know it. It was from there that he looked down and he created man. In his own image, in his own likeness, male and female, he created them. Now, the Lord God, we are told, he had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of that garden. That garden was planted in the east, in Eden. And in that garden, the trees were there. They were there for us to look at. They were there for food. Those trees in the garden. But there was also a river that fed that garden in the east. And the river continued to feed and provide the sustenance for the garden. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the midst of the garden. He put him in that garden so that he could care for the garden. It all started in a garden. However, as a result of us, as a result of the sin of the first man and the first woman, they fell. And in their sin, there was a brokenness in that relationship with God. And as a result of that brokenness, they were banished from the garden. And banished from the garden to work the ground from which man had been taken. A garden. It all started in a garden. Well, with that opening right there, how many of you are excited to be at church here on this Easter Sunday morning? Well, I'm glad to hear that because I was nervous. You may say, that's enough. We can't take all of that. We are headed out. Wow. Hey, that is how it all started, but we are so happy that you are here because we celebrate Easter because of what happened in that garden, right? It was the sin of mankind that brought about the need for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday. So hey, as everybody else has said, I am so glad that you are here. What a great morning together. It is great to have each of you here. It was great to be able to sing praise to God with our band this morning. What a tremendous job they did. And I just want to tell you, my name is Joel, and I am so thankful that you are here. And uh, we would just like to welcome you to Bridgewater Easter Sunday morning. This morning, what are we going to look to do? What I'm going to look to do over the next uh, few minutes, 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, is walk you through some passages of Scripture that take us through the life of some of the individuals, and in particular, one of the individuals that spent time on this earth with Christ. You see, we come together to celebrate Easter because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was his body that was beaten, and it was his body that was crucified, and it was his body that physically rose from the dead, walked out of a grave, and that is what we are here to celebrate today. And I want to walk us through that passage of Scripture, through a few passages of Scripture that will lead us to that. But the reason that we got here was because of in that garden, all those years ago, at the beginning, there was a problem that entered in and a problem that still exists with each one of us, a sin problem. We missed the mark. 
So as we walk through these passages this morning, I want you to understand that we believe in a resurrection, and we believe in a resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, for some very good reasons. And those very good reasons are we have the eyewitnesses of accounts of individuals that were there to see what took place. We have the eyewitness account of a man named Matthew. He was one of the disciples that followed Christ, that spent time with Christ here in this world, here on this earth. We would say he spent about three years with him. And Matthew wrote a detailed account. He wanted to write down, and it's called Matthew's Gospel. He wanted us to know. But we not only believe of, because of Matthew, we believe because of another eyewitness account. An eyewitness account by a man named Mark. Mark was probably a very young man when all of this took place. But Mark spent a lot of time with one of the other disciples named Peter. And he probably heard Peter tell the stories of Christ time and time again throughout his life. And he said, Peter, would you just let me start documenting some of this, some of these things. Down. And he wrote it down. And we have a gospel called Mark that details the life of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. We have an individual named Luke. Luke wrote a gospel, and Luke not only decided to write a gospel, um, but he wrote a letter in that he wanted to document all of the details that had taken place. And he even says, many have looked to do it. There are, many that, there are many that have done this, but I want to write it. So he went back and he got eyewitness accounts as to the life of Christ as to what took place. And he wrote them down, documented them for us so that we could look, so that we could know that there is a resurrected Savior. Another disciple by the name of John, he chose to write as well. John is the disciple that describes himself as the one that Jesus loved. And John, at the end of his gospel, writes and actually tells us, these things are written that you may know. Why did he say that? Because he was there. He was able to detail it. He walked with Christ in this world. As a matter of fact, he is one of the ones that on the evening, we are going to see in a little bit in a little while, on the evening that Christ was crucified, that fled. He came back also and was at the cross. He saw Christ on the cross, but he fled and went away, but came back on that first, what we now call Easter morning. There was no one at the grave. There were, no people, there were no people there saying, oh, here comes Jesus, get ready. As a matter of fact, we will see this morning that there is a detail of some ladies that were going to do what? Going to treat and take care of a dead body. You see, the resurrection, what we celebrate Easter Sunday, is all about a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And I am so glad that you are here with us this morning. We're going to take a look at the life of Peter. Because if there's anybody that we can take a little bit of a look at, and maybe you and I can learn from, it's the life of Peter. You see, Peter is an individual who stumbled and fell. He made a very bold claim leading to the cross of Calvary as Christ was walking to the cross. Peter made a very bold proclamation and was not able to live up to it. He fell. He stumbled. And in his own life, maybe felt the shame, the hurt that was there. How about that? Have we ever felt shame? Have you ever felt hurt? Have you ever felt guilt? The story of Easter is for you. So we are so glad. 
Let's take a look at this very first passage of Scripture right here that we're going to look at this morning. And it's told by Matthew. All right, Matthew is giving us some detail. And he says this, then Jesus told them, and this then Jesus told them is the disciples. They have had that last supper. They have met, it's Passover time. They have met together. They have had a supper together. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, and they are now walking out. They are probably headed to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to pray. And as they are walking out, the disciples have had a little bit of a proclamation amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And the reason they've had that is because as we get to this moment in time, the disciples believe that Jesus is here to set up his kingdom on this earth. And they're all looking around saying, who is going to be the leader with him? It's us. We're the 12 that have spent the most time with him. And they're anticipating a great um, revival of the nation of Israel as a power in the world. They are not anticipating a crucifixion of their Lord and Savior. They're anticipating the one that has the power to raise their friend Lazarus from the dead. They're anticipating the one that had the power to turn water into wine. They're anticipating the one that had the power to heal the deaf and those that were mute. They're anticipating the one that was able to raise the lame back to the ability to walk. They're anticipating that Savior coming with power. They weren't anticipating a Savior that would die on a cross. So as they go about, this very night, Jesus tells them, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And it is at this point that Peter replied. Peter looks, and he is going to give this reply to Jesus. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. That bold proclamation of the Apostle Peter, of this disciple of Jesus Christ, he looks and he says, even if all fall away from you, and he's referencing the other 10 that are with them. Judas is already gone, all right? But the other 10, if they all fall away, Jesus, I never will. I will be with you. After all, I'm the one that proclaimed that you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Remember that? That's me. That's how faithful I have been. That was Peter. But Jesus goes on to tell him, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to go, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. If we want to put this into our perspective, this would be on Thursday night of this past week. All right, if we want to just take that into the perspective of the time frame that we're talking about, it would have just been Thursday night as they're walking out from that dinner, headed over to that garden, headed over to a time of prayer, that the disciples make this proclamation. And yet by early Friday morning, before the rooster crows, There will be this one who disowns him, even though he says, I never will disown you. Matthew goes on to let us know that it wasn't just Peter um, that had made this, but they all, Peter leaves him, but it's all the disciples that deserted and fled. What caused all of them to desert and flee? You see, as they went forward into that garden, there was a time of prayer. 
Jesus prayed and his disciples were there with him. They had a difficulty. They were like us, had difficulty maybe staying awake during the prayer. Any of us in here ever have a time of that where we struggle with that? There's a handful of us, right? There you go. But as he does that, they get up to leave and here comes Judas to betray them. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And the disciples that are there, seeing what happens, Peter being one of them, grabs a sword, and he is ready to fight. Like he said, I will go to the death with you. And Jesus says, no, this is not what we are here for, Peter. Put the sword away. And he does. And as they carry Jesus off and arrest him and carry him off for a fake trial, all of the disciples deserted and fled. The Gospels go on to give us a little story of Peter. Because Peter didn't just flee, he wanted to see what was going on. So in the process of making sure that he's lost in the crowd so that he's not arrested with Jesus, he somehow wants to filter back in and see what has taken place in this trial. And as he comes back in to see what is taking place with this trial, he gets into the courtyard as to where the fake trial of Christ and where the beating of Christ has taken place. And he sits outside and there is a fire that is built there. And around this fire that is built, he settles in. It's the cool of the evening. Actually, it's probably the cool of a very early morning, a late, late night, early morning time frame. And as he warms himself, looking to see what is taking place, there's a young lady that notices him there, and she looks and she sees him, and she says, ah, you were one of them. And Peter declares, nope, not me, you, you got the wrong person. A little while later, we're told in the Gospels, ah, another one noticed him and said, hey, weren't you with him? I thought we saw you over in the garden with him. And again, he screams vehemently, no, I do not know him. I was not there. A third time, someone challenges him. You're from Galilee. Your accent gives you away. You were with him. You were one of them. He calls down a curse upon them and says, I do not know the man. And just then, in the distance, a rooster crows. Luke, as he took detail, looked into this. And Luke tells us that Jesus at that time looked and saw Peter. Imagine how big you feel at that moment. Just a few hours earlier, long hours they may have been, long hours they certainly were in the life of these individuals. But just a few hours earlier, the man who had so boldly proclaimed, I will go to the death with you, even if everybody, even if all those around you desert you, I never will, had now deserted him. And he went out and wept bitterly. Is that you in your life? Have you or I, have we ever blown it in such a big way that we look and we're there like, Christ, I don't know what I've done, but there is no way that I can be forgiven after this. Maybe for you, maybe for me, it's a sin in our lives. It just keeps coming back and it haunts us time and time again. 
Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's fear of the people around you. Maybe it's, maybe it's a lack of courage at times when I need courage to stand up, boldness to stand up for Christ. Maybe it's the simplicity of just, Lord, I believe you're there, but I certainly don't want to follow you. I want to do my own thing in my life. Peter, at this moment in time, backs away. I have blown it, and I have blown it big time. All those years of graves and graves and graves, he is now going to see his Savior crucified and put into a grave. And this is how that story goes as we continue on looking at the passage as to what, we are, as to what takes place with Christ. He is crucified. He is beaten, crucified. And at the end of that crucifixion, there is a man named Joseph. All right, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Pilate is the one who was, they'd been there, had been part of the judging council. Pilate was the ruler that Rome had in place at that point over Israel. And Joseph of Arimathea, who was a follower of Jesus, asked Pilate for the body. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. You see, that Savior that Peter had betrayed had been crucified on a cross. And now his body was going to be taken down from that cross and placed in a grave. But this is how the Apostle John gives us the in-depth story as to this grave. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. You see, suddenly this garden idea comes back. And this garden idea, originally a garden is where we found peace and tranquility in life. And maybe a garden is what you were looking forward to even this year, right? It's been a long winter. It's been a long year. And maybe in your life, you're just looking for a little bit of the peace, a little bit of the tranquility, a little bit of the quietness that comes from a garden that you may know, that you may go to for a little bit of relief. Jesus' body is going to be placed in this garden, and it's going to be placed in a tomb. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, if we want to go back in our own time frame, this would be a Friday account for us, Friday late in the afternoon, because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Then, all right, Mark gives us a little bit more detail. Then they rolled a stone, all right? Then these individuals, he, this is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. But notice there were a couple people nearby. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Friday, the Savior buried. Friday, the body of Jesus Christ buried and placed in a tomb. Friday, the one who had healed so many people, the one who had cared for so many individuals in their lives, buried 
in a tomb. Friday, the one that all of these individuals had followed, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, the 12 disciples, 11 of them now with Judas gone. These ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of, jo of Jesus, and the other ladies that had gone and followed Christ. Suddenly, Jesus, the one that they had been following, the one that they saw as the hope of the world, buried and placed in a tomb. In the words of the Pastor C.M. Lockridge, Friday, but Sunday was coming. His words go on. It was only Friday, but Sunday was coming. They weren't aware. They weren't aware that death wasn't going to be the final statement here. You see, because for all those thousands of years, generation upon generation since that original garden, what was death? It was the final sentence. Lazarus, yes, when Christ had brought him forth, but there was no more Christ to bring somebody forward from the grave. Death was the final. Grave was the final coffin for somebody. It was the final nail, so to say, in his life. It was over. Yes, he was a great man. Yes, he was a great leader. Yes, there were many of us that loved him, but gone and placed in the grave. But Sunday came. And this is how that goes. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought, brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. What does that tell you about these ladies? They were aware that the men that had gone and anointed the body on Friday night, they didn't know what they were doing. So, right, they bring their spices and they're like, we're going to take care of him and we're going to spice him up a little bit more and we're going to take care of his body. Why were they going to do that? Because dead bodies stay dead. They weren't anticipating a risen Savior. As I mentioned before, there were no Christians that were there. There were no followers of Christ that were anticipating a risen Savior. There were no Christ followers that morning. They were all Christ believers that he had lived and that he was a wonderful man, but he was now dead. The cause was dead. So as these ladies bring these spices that they might anoint Jesus' body, which is dead, they go very early in the morning on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And so would you and I be alarmed at such a sight. So as they see this man that is in the tomb, these are the words that he says to them. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. Those, yeah, those are the most wonderful words that we could hear right there, right? He is risen. The ladies didn't expect that. They were looking to take care of a body. But this individual looks at them and he says, he is risen. He is not here. 
See the place where they laid him. He's not trying to cover anything up. The tomb is open. Why? So that they can look in, so that they can see that the body is gone, not stolen, not taken away, but rather risen. Why? Because we have a risen Savior that was proclaimed by those that saw him. And these ladies were the first there to see that he is gone. And when they see that, he says, see the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter. That one that had said, I will follow you to the death. Jesus said, go tell my disciples and Peter. The gospel writers go on to tell us that Jesus is going to appear to each one of them. And as he appears to them, there is peace, there is joy, and there is comfort. There is not scorn, there is not grief, there is not ridicule. He doesn't make them feel like small, how could you guys have left me? But rather he brought peace to them. Why? Because he was a risen Savior that came to save them from their sins. If you have been made to feel like guilt and shame are what need to weigh down on your life in religion, it is not the religion, it is not the belief that Jesus Christ brought. Jesus Christ with his resurrection brought freedom and he brought life. The very individuals that should have felt guilt and shame because they left him in his greatest moment of need are the very individuals that he shows up to and says, no, I want you to follow me. He restores them on a beach, meets them. They've gone back to fishing, builds another fire there, cooks some fish on it. And he gives it to his disciples and says to Peter, specifically at that time, Peter, do you love me? And he repeats it to him three times. Restoring those individuals that were broken, that had failed, that had fallen. You see, our risen Savior is not here to beat you down. He is not here to make you feel guilt and shame, but rather he is risen so that we may have victory in this life and victory and life eternal with him. Why? So that the grave is not the final place, but rather life with him is our final place. He brings peace. He brings joy. And he brings comfort. You see, the story of Jesus Christ is one that wants, a, wants each one of us in here to know that our past, that your past, that my past is not a death sentence on your future. From the beginning of time, God has been the giver of life. God framed the beauty of this love in a garden where every good thing was true and every true thing was good. But with one bite, sin entered the world. Like a virus, it infected everyone. Sin separated us from God and from each other. One bite brought distance, destruction, darkness, and death. The curse of sin consumed us. 
For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to reverse the curse by hanging on a cross. A crown of sin and death was placed on the king of life. He died and was buried, and for three days it seemed that death might have won. But on the third day, Jesus robbed the grave and rose from the dead. There is no distance that can hold back the power of God, no virus that can threaten the life that he brings. And so we say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Sin does not have the final word. Jesus is the grave robber, the life giver, the curse reverser. He is risen and everything sad is coming untrue. You give 
regularly and it was in my life as a young man that I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. As you look around the room in here, you will find many people, many who have trusted Christ as a young person, many more who have trusted Christ in their adult years. But what have they done? They have noticed that the individual who was able to rob the grave, the individual that arrested, that when death was arrested, the individual who turns graves into gardens, was able to change their life. We would invite you this morning and we would invite you today, do not let another Easter pass where you do not trust the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, he is the risen Savior. He is the one that rose from the dead. Why? So that our sin may be conquered, so that our sin may be taken care of. Not to bring, as I said before, the guilt and shame that religion wants to put down upon you but rather to bring the freedom that a resurrected Jesus Christ can bring to you. We would ask you, if today is the day that God is moving in your life, we would ask you to put your hope, your faith, your trust in Him as the one who was able to turn graves into gardens. He is able to do that in your life today.
Hey guys, we have our hope in our risen Savior. I'll go out and live for him. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us.